0: Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 36 of the podcast, the topic is Digital Lean. Our guest is Edward Atkins, Head of Customer Success at Tulip. In this conversation, we talk about achieving customer success with classic lean operations and beyond, and we explore performance transparency. How operators can produce parts, tracking procedures digitally, creating quality gates through inspection applications, and being conscious about quality measurement. What am I making, and at what quality? We also go into more complex things like material flow, Kanban loops, and taking inventory, and how no-code is an exponential uplift since you no longer are burdened by logging and can collect as much information as you want. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders and operators, hosted by futurist Trond Arne Unheim. Presented by Tulip.co, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MFG.works, the industrial upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented. The Industry 4.0 Podcast: Industrial Conversations That Matter. Tell me about what happened the other day. Yeah, so I mean,
1: these are the moments I live—I live, I live for—and really, why I'm one of the reasons I'm a Tulip. And so, I was on. So, one of our customers, the large uh, chemicals customer, doing—we've um, deployed to 13 sites. They just would like—they're incrementally adding sites. I really like the way. Um, the team there are just they're taking it step by step, so they're really like starting simple and going step by step. Um, they've had success about three sites, thirteen sites globally. Adding the next three sites, we're on a. I'm on an onboarding call. It's the second onboarding call that we've had uh, with this site. So they, the first onboarding call, they've done some like basics into Tulip, have had a look at Tulip University. Now they're really starting to think about like what use cases do they want to take forward and and do. And uh, one of the one of the ladies. Um, so she really wants to build this tracker for near misses so safety near misses in a shop floor like if they've had a like an incident they want to capture that so they can solve it before it becomes a real safety problem and it's like a pretty standard like uh, manufacturing and the problem is the right word but something that people really care about and we want to make sure our people are safe in the plant and then someone else on the call had mentioned well actually i'd seen another site within the same company that had had the same use case. So we weren't really sure exactly what they built. So we were able to, like, Paul from, from the team there was able to call up uh, the instance of the cust- the other site and they are able to look at the app and go, oh, look, this app does exactly the same as as what you're looking for. Um, and then we were able to download the app, we were able to get it on the lady's instance for her in her site, and she was able to start, like, playing with it and starting to put it into use from the next week. And I think like for, for them, like they probably never knew what this site on the other side of the world was doing. They'd definitely never been able to share like a best practice or a way of working that quickly. Um, and I think it just, yeah, it was like, for me, it was like, wow, this is uh, these are the sort of moments that are really going to like make make this, uh, like make the sharing possible that we, like. it's like brings to reality that this sharing is really possible. So it's it cool.
0: Cool. So I'm curious, was this the first time that you, did you get a sense that this was something that they, this client experiences on a regular basis or was there something different about them? I
1: think it's like something they've, so two things, something they've been wanting to happen. And I th- I think really they're about, so they're what now, nearly a year into their journey, um, they started with one site, then slowly expanded. I think this is the f- first time where they've really been able to like copy and paste something or something that's relatively complex should we say so they've taken like pretty simple here's a here's an application for doing a very simple checklist or something else but this was now really a an app that had been like um, developed over here without anybody knowing about it, really, and had now been able to be taken and used over here, over in another site on the other side of the world. So I think the bit of like re- this kind of bottom up to bottom up sharing was the first time that that had really been, been seen or achieved. I think we've done a lot of like, let's build an app that everyone can use and deploy from the top. But really, like this bottom up, bottom up sharing is, was pretty, was definitely the arm moment and, and the. And the team was like, "Wow, this is this is cool. Let's do more of this."
0: Can you give me a sense of how this client got onboarded? And these are the apps. How are they built with this client? What's the approach? Did they build it completely on their own, or was it guided development?
1: So, yeah, I re- I really like the approach um, this client's taking. I mean, I think they're in a position where they can. T- it's important to them what they're doing with Tulip, and it's giving them a lot like a lot of value with relatively simple apps. So they're in a position where they can take things like st- step by step, and they're really focusing on building simple things, making sure plants build simple things themselves first, so they learn the basics, and then like incrementing on the uh, the complexity. So, how like example of how they're like they're taking this the first the first site that was onboarded built a what they call a cycle count app, which is like an inventory counting application, and it's probably three data entry points and that they needed almost everybody on site to be using it so they took this simple app and rolled it out very quickly and they learned a huge amount from doing that they like yeah they learned the basics of how to build an app in tulip but they also learned a lot about how to effectively get an app into production and I think a lot of our customers or I think a lot of we all underestimate like that change management piece of how you actually get this new process that you've built, whether it's on digital or in paper and actually go and put it into production and get like three shifts using it seven days a week in like um, all the 24 seven and just like really make it becoming part of the process. And I think what I, what I like about the way they took took it forward was really just to build this simple thing that was that they're able to learn then how to get it in production. And then, so, you know, what we've, maybe how they've onboarded to Tulip. So that's, but their approach. Then we've been working with the sites, um, sort of guiding them through this onboarding process. And typically, the sites go through like three, like three kind of phases. Um, and the the push is to say, so first of all, get them trained, like get them to like build something really simple for themselves. And that's using all our online. Uh, they utilize our Tulip University. So they have a policy where they basically say. You must go through these certain Tulip University courses before you get access to deploy stuff into production. So really, like, making the learning very central. The second part they have in their deployment process is you take a really simple, what we call a template application, a bit like our library applications that they have, and they then have to prove they can get that into production and get that that up and running. And then the third part is they then start working in a, like, I become guided from us to build more complex applications and um i at that point they're then building like a this end like someone somewhere is off building this end-to-end uh, incident management app or what near misses management app that we just talked about or somebody else is by building an app that monitors the levels of all of their tanks and brings that data into tulip and has some alerting to the different like different email groups based on the levels of those tanks and Things like that, so it's cool to see like, taking them through that step by step. When
0: what does it take to implement an app? Obviously, it depends on if you're just completely fresh off the boat on the software, but in this case, the app that we're talking about here, how did it come about? How quickly, and how was it built? And what was the process? I'm just reminded, uh, because you gave me homework the other day, so I was just reading. This book, uh, Journey to Lean, which I understand uh, was uh, circulating in the McKinsey circuit when you were there. But it's interesting because here's Journey to Lean and making operational change. And you know, uh, your story here just made me think of that. I was reading these (laughs) descriptions of some factories in the UK. It really is a human process. In addition, obviously, to having effective systems like uh, no-code apps that uh, Tulips makes, you know what is the context that you can give to get us started
1: yeah, so like the, I mean I don't know this um like I could talk about similar apps like this yeah this this incident tracking one I don't know about because it was done, but I can uh, similar kind of complexity apps where you' um, yeah the um, so let's yeah maybe how do I talk so the uh I think a simple app where you're trying to, like this type of app, you're trying to collect information from someone about an event and then the event needs to follow like a process and that process could be like reviewed and signed off. It could be like, reviewed, signed off, implemented. So I think there's a, you have to have a bit of a vision for where you're you're getting to. Um, but what I, like th- this type of application uh, I've seen others be successful with is they'll literally build maybe the, like first of all, they build the data collection. So what what is what do they want to start understanding? So like very quickly you can build a simple form that says what was the event, like what what was it? Um and almost in like a week or two weeks, build that simple app and deploy it to different places across your facility and just start collecting collecting these events. Um, I think I also see it go very wrong the other way where people try to like design the perfect end-to-end like um, ma- management system for these these events, and they never they can never agree on how they're going to do anything, and never get past the first hurdle. So I think this is the when I see customers being successful with this, they do really start simple, like from the simple phase, and then then iterate and add. Um, and I, I think that's how, from what I heard, this is how that that one was developed. It's also how they're doing a lot of the things that, that the customer we're talking about.
0: Um, I was just curious, given your experience are you almost able to predict whether a customer culture is going to lend itself to this kind of app de- development or if it's going to take a little longer because their culture isn't ready for it? You know, how would you describe a situation um, where where these sort of kinds of changes are easier r- rather than harder?
1: Yeah. So actually, I I used to be good at this, I'd say. Like, after doing just pure lean, I got very good at like, okay, what are going to be the capability gaps that we need to close and like honestly i don't think i'm that like i'm not i don't have that same like thermometer that i used to have like i'm still figuring out exactly like how much how fast can we say we can go and how like what are the capabilities that really need to be built and how do i assess whether someone has or doesn't have those capabilities. And I think maybe that's a, a mix of like being remote for the last year and not getting to like sit next to these people and, and coach them. Um, but also, but also I think it is, there are, there are still some like technical but like barriers, I suppose that need to, or that need to be overcome. Like there are still some, uh, I don't I think it's, it's like the, the pe- I think there's a simple kind of, um, kind of something that makes things go quickly is always if someone is familiar and can pick up IT. Basically, it doesn't mean they have to be a programmer or like no um, no I know kind of the IT background. But I definitely see like there's still a, a resistant or no resistance. There's friction, say, in, in the system if like the operators aren't used to, to using IT, or there's like there's not someone. There, there's not a, well, a group two or three people there that get it and like get themselves into the system and and learn it um, so I think that's probably my first like checkpoint is a bit like how is the organization set up in terms of like being able to like deploy get something deployed um, I think from and and then the others then the second side is like okay once we've once that's gone like What's I think the same? How they going to be successful or not? And I think you really it's about like yeah, prag. I think what I, what do I see being successful is like people that can be like pragmatic and like sit like explicitly say this is the problem we're trying to solve, and then understand that like tulip or another technology is a system to solve that problem versus oh, wouldn't it be great if we had this wonderful solution and oh here's a really cool technology that's going to come and solve it for us and I like that's the kind of other end of the capability like me- mindset that we get and then we end up just like not not having a clear problem that's actually going to be solved or any like drive to solve that problem and it just like we just end up on a.
0: You mentioned that actually last time when we spoke about this particular client. You said, we're not doing much for them. They run it themselves. I thought that was pretty a profound statement because you're also saying that they're very successful. So it's a bit of a paradox to me that a client can, I mean, the perception at least when you talk to them is that they're pretty happy with this solution. But on the other hand, they do a lot of it themselves. So how does that really work? Is it basically that they have ownership of the problem in some sense of a very crucial component?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So they own they own their problem, they're motivated to solve it, and they like are asking like I sort taking our guidance, like here's, here's here's a playbook of how we've done it with the other customers that works, and then they take that and go, Okay, we'll do it like this, we'll change it a bit, but they kind of they take it on and they get they put their hand up and they go, We've got this kind of problem and we need to we don't know how to solve this part of it. Like, can you help us solve that? that part of it, for example. Um, so it's yeah, quite a collaborative, with those like this, the leadership team now, it's quite a collaborative way of working. It's really good.
0: So it's early days for Tulip, but on the other hand, we're starting to scale some of these apps to larger number of users who started reflecting about how different it is because I'm assuming when you were talking about doing lean consulting, Working with very large deployment, I think there can be this sense of where am
1: I? We're getting there with Tulip. I think people come from maybe a a mindset like of I can download an app on my iPhone. It needs to be that simple. So there's a the, like the bar is pretty high for for customers <laughs> like, <laughs> when it comes to that level. And I mean, there's the way Tulip and I suppose other. IoT platforms would be set up is there's a little bit more, there's a bit more red tape um, versus just being able to like, li- really share applications like, easily in that way because you want to like um, you want to be able to connect the data up and you don't want everything to just go uh, in completely different directions. So I think there's a bit of kind of like it's not as friction, it's not as easy as you as maybe. It's always illustrated, or people think it might be, but it's. Um, I think also from the other side, we found that there was a lot like if a, from a lean perspective, we really took things like very step by step, I suppose, and proved like took a lot of time cap- doing building capabilities and working with people side by side, and like it would accelerate. So we'd probably do like one wave where it was one plant, which would take three months. We'd do another. Another wave, which would be maybe three more plants, and it would be another three months. Um, And then you kind of maybe do another three plants, and then you could start to scale from there. Um, I think we get like where it's like some where we are now is somewhere in between those two. So we have like a lot more of the like online content, a lot more shareable content, the ability to kind of work, go and see what work someone's doing by like logging into. Like sharing screen sharing over the cloud or see like tracking what they're doing, so you have this i think ability to build capabilities much quicker for those more complex use cases and I think like more and more as like i see like at least where like where tulip's focused is like to be able to really get to that level where like of i suppose frictionless app sharing where you really can share applications and and um and and that will that will really help for i think from the being, thinking about downloading an app.
0: The question I've been scratching my head quite a bit about since I joined the company, just to try to understand how this actually does work and, and would work at, on a larger scale, because honestly, I, I do understand how appealing it is, but when you sort of have this feeling that you can really download it on your app, sort of have consumer life actually almost happen at work, so, so that's instantly very appealing. But of course, like you said, there has to be some checks and balances. And I mean, I was thinking about the issue that, you know, something in a in a team of five or ten, you know, on the shop floor, you might think this is really efficient and we feel very good about it. But similar to other experiments where we've made small improvements, incremental improvements, like you know, in one instance, there could be effects on this new process all across the factory. How are we equipped to do, to do that correctly? Also because I, I assume there still is a little bit of a human in the loop. So you build one app yeah. and you build another, whether they're connected or not, right? So that's a decision. And if they're connected, maybe then you, know, you start to sub-optimize yeah. or change your behavior, behavior based on what the app is telling you what are some experiences you've had in that regard?
1: I, the, one of the biggest uh, areas where I've seen is like li- like production line improvement or OEE. And like that's a, sort of a classic for uh, we have a machine monitoring solution, but actually it doesn't bring any value until you start building other solutions. Like you're, you're still sol- solving the problems it tells you exist, basically. So um, yeah, you can of like... That is I think you connect a machine to tulip um, you start to see that changeovers are a big problem. You can then build an app for like a standard app for your changeover process and then you can use the data from that app to identify improvements to uh, reduce parts of the changeover or do things in parallel or prepare better for the changeover so I think that's the, that's quite a a standard um the use case we see in our like proof of value concepts another really interesting one um the other day that I another customer that I'm working with she put Tulip into their what they call their reverse dc which is uh, a small team that works in a like a customer's uh, distribution center and they're managing all the warranty returns from that customer to them basically and they're checking using tulip to go through a process to check whether it's like a valid return or not and i mean that's that's that gatekeeping is saving them a lot of like warranty significant amount of warranty cost um but on the on the other side they're now collecting a lot of like a nice bit of data which is saying what is the um what's the value like what is being returned and why is it being returned and they get a, like a photo of it and, and all this like nice, nice data. Um, the, net, the step we're working on with them now is pushing that, okay, where do they, where can they use that data? They have Salesforce and they have in Salesforce, they have all the information on their like customers who've signed up for, um, for it. So they can make a link between this warranty return and the customer and why the customer's returned it. And that can potentially, they can spot customers that are, doing more returns or they can stop a customer claiming for something they've returned before. Uh, But also they can start pushing it back into, they're going to push it back into their product database and start like seeing what is being returned. Why is it being returned and use that and tie that then into their product development process. So like kind of, we've built this very simple app for them that they're using or built with them, I should say. Um, And we're now building those connections. Like the app is running, but we're now building out those connections for them so that data starts getting pushed back to those other systems.
0: The other thing I wanted you to talk about, which I found fascinating, is when you're a leader in an organization that's considering making or investing in lean processes and and you're sitting there trying to figure out what are the steps in the process, I know you have a pretty clear idea about what the priority should be. Would you just walk us... Through that, in terms of the decision processes for committing to a lean changeover, first, would you tell me about lean checklists?
1: Like a classic thing to do in lean is, I think we talked about this last week, I don't know a bit about that last time, but is to put a checklist in place to like stamp like it's a stand, it becomes a standard. Um, and there's we've like you see. A very generic 5s checklist, 25 questions, um, is a really standard thing. Like big organisations try to push everywhere, and it, I mean, it, it creates a nice measurable, like how well is an area doing within the plant? Someone goes and does it every month. It creates a nice mentality of people going onto the onto the shop floor um, and going to see what's going on and coming up with ideas to how to improve it. So it, it creates some really good lean like behaviours that you want to look at. Um, I think something that um, we've been like thinking about is like that, that type of audit is very paper-based and yeah, you can put that audit into app an app and you do the same process, but all the data, you no longer have the the admin of the like paper-based system, but you have this kind of same system in, in digital. Um, I think like what I'm trying to do with some more customers is actually take one step further with that and say, What is like, what does a digital version of this look like? What does a digital kind of uh, checklist look like? And it's actually like the root of what you're trying to do with the checklist is one, make this maturity level so that you can create a bit of competition. You're trying to create this behavior of someone going on the shop floor and talking to, like, talking to an operator, like, generating problems uh, or issues or identifying improvements. And you're trying to, um, like, you're trying to spot deviations from the standard and reinforce the standard. Um, so, like one of the ideas that um, the Mark and I have discussed a couple of times is like this, uh, um, this like almost like a Tinder for five S, basically. So, you like you you go on the 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 game is like someone goes around and takes photos of what stuff should look like. You go on the shop floor and you get these photos and you say is it like this or not and if it's not like this you have to go and like come up with an idea how to improve it and like this instead of like people going through a checklist this is now the kind of you get this randomized list of photos and you have to go and find them on the shop floor for example or you have to go and ask someone like where is this photo and they can't tell you Um, and you can say is it is it in that condition or is it not in that condition and then with that you're starting to you could it's it's like more fun. You're using the digital technology, and you're starting to, and you can you can do the same scoring because you get like, the photos get randomised. You know, like how many deviations per area there have been. So in the background, the system can do all of the: are these checks happening, or are they, um, are they happening, are they not happening, or how what's how many are getting deviated? what areas are getting percentages of deviation. So you can do all the KPIs you want to do. Um, but you start to use the technology in a different way, and I think we're—I definitely see where my, cust- my customers are not—we're not there at that level of like creativity yet, um, and still kind of wanting to put their their standard lean checklists onto paper on glass, as we talk about. Um, and I think that my, that mindset is something I think yeah, we all can—we all need to do a better job of like coaching and challenging like our customers, um, about trying to do something different. It's very easy to sort of say yes to the paper on glass checklist and actually there might be a better way of doing things.
0: If there's going to be transformational value out of these digital investments, uh, you know, doing stuff 5% or 10% better because you're do, not doing the admin around the paper. Um, mm. So you're doing something completely new ideally or vertically change uh, around the process uh, yeah what are the main use cases in in a sort of one to one deployment of digital tactics? You talked about checklists, so that would seem to be one um, but what are some of the top first ten apps to look for for a customer
1: yeah so the fir- like the first app for me is always like I, we call it i perf- can call it performance transparency basically, and that's like. If we take a cell, it's like what what is important for what is that cell doing on a daily basis? And that app might simply be like just a count of production versus target for that cell. So we st- start with something really simple. Um, that could be like an OEE monitoring application. It could be a like just a an operator, like some tracking of an operator producing the parts. So I think that's for me is like First thing I want to understand is like what performance is. Um, we can then add, we add a few additional apps and maybe that's within that cell if it's one operator or maybe it's a like a, a, an adjacent cell is some kind of quality gate. Um, so it's like an inspection application or quality measurement. So I really I start to understand what am I making and what quality am I making it at? And that's kind of the first First couple of uh, apps would always deploy. From there, we can like that data can start to be put as a hourly tracking board on the production floor, like a date a shiftly review board that can be used in the shift shift meeting, and then a uh, like can be cascaded into like a performance board for the site, for example. So you start to getting this core performance data. You're starting to have ways of looking at this performance data. The next part is like things are going to come up like there's going to be a quality issue, there's going to be something that the operator sees can be improved. Um, so, And there's going to be things that come out of these performance meetings, like actions that need to be followed up on and tracked. Um, so the next thing I put in would be like a action tracking or events manager is what we call it, um, which sort of connects all these events that are coming, like deviations or ideas that are coming out of all these different discussions about the data and you can start tracking them into Allocating them to people, tracking them to completion, um, and that starts like the improvement. That starts to close out like the improvement loop that you want to do. Um, I think then some like other app, like other applications that can that I would start looking at then is like the SOPs that underneath what's happening in the cell. So you're actually starting to give the operator some information about. Um, what they need to be doing to produce, putting a standard in place for how they produce things. You can start then, based on what you're seeing in the quality data. You can start connecting error proofing into that SOP as well, by like connecting to IoT devices and things like this. Um, so you might want to start collecting the the measurement, uh, like I don't, you might want to start tracking that the operator's done the right talking for a for a particular process, for example. Um, so. SOPs, and then I start looking at more complex things like work, material flow. Maybe like, like we have a I work, use a Kanban application for like creating Kanban loops and doing material and an inventory flow in a plant, for example. So, I think from there we start building it like into something that's more of a sort of end, end-to-end uh, um, material management for the site, basically.
0: So this way you have kind of built it up from scratch. But of course, uh, they are somewhat mirroring existing processes. What about uh, the process You know, compared to a more traditional enterprise process? The way things were working before, like if you go into a brownfield, a factory setting, and, and you don't have TULIP, what does that look like? Let's say a new manager comes on board and starts to look at things. And let's just say they don't have a TULIP-type system, so they're... Um, they're thinking either just manual improvements, so they're thinking, uh, let's put a massive enterprise software legacy system in there.
1: Yeah, I suppose like the manual, the manual system for me is very, very similar to the no code process. But like, I, I have a like I'm burdened by what I can do. Like, so to, to a few things I'm like if I'm putting a I might want to measure a process. I'm burdened. I could put a piece of paper or a whiteboard that someone will measure that, like will use to measure the process or log their activity. And I then like, I then have to make sure someone is filling it in every hour. I have to make sure if we filled it in, we put it into an Excel and then we use that Excel to run some analysis. So there's a, there's a change management piece that's needed that I say is like it's still there with the digital app because you have to get people to use it but it's more can can be can be lower and and there's a piece of adding this additional administration burden so you usually as a, a process engineer you usually limit yourself to or a manager usually limit yourself to how much like paper you put down or whiteboards you put up or the complexity of what you ask people to record because you know that like the changes you've got to get people to do it and you've got to like actually analyze it so now we have in the no-code environment. You can you can really like you want to do stuff quickly and get stuff in quickly, uh, but you can like collect as much information as you as you want, really. And you can do once you've done an analysis once, you can then like it's infinite. Like every week, it's refreshing, or every hour, it's refreshing. You can see like it updating. So you get a like a huge exponential uplift in your capacity based on like based on um, on the date, having everything digital so i think that's like that's the difference between this like very manual based pro- process and, and they could the like coming from the other side if i said okay now i want like i want to take this traditional i want to put an mes in pre- in place um it's a very like there's a lot of kind of mapping it takes like, you map everything to uh of a, of, a, of the process that you're doing, you measure the go and measure the times. You go and upload those to the system. You go and like me, like you you write down all the like material like the what the flows of the work orders, and you upload those to the system. There's maybe like yield calculations that you need to develop and upload those rules to the system. So there's a very like you're spending a long time building the rules of a very big system for this manufacturing process that maybe. Doesn't always follow all those rules um, and wants to change quickly as well. Um, And then at some point of time, that information gets comes once it's been implemented. It comes back to the to the shop floor, which uh, is like I think back to your point earlier on, where you said you're making a decision, like you're deploying an app, and then you're making a decision whether you connect it to someone or whether it needs to be connected to something at all. Um, And yeah, that so like part that that way of being able to just deploy a use like a use case or an app and allow it to be standalone it doesn't matter but also then being able to make the decision to connect it to something and like often you know this is sort of a deployment approach that we we often take is like a customer wants us to connect to their erp system to push and pull data and usually what we do is actually like have like put that have a rep like use a mock of that data or a replica of that data in a two-bit table to start up like start off with to actually be able to quickly get something working that fits for the operator before we then actually like build the connection, the real time connection back to the ERP system with the, um, with the, op- with the like with the engineering team. So it's a sort of a very versus how you would previously do it. You'd map out all the connections you want and then you would build them. And then the last thing that gets deployed would be the app to the, to the
0: operator basically. So I'm quite curious about this difference between TULIP and an MES system, given that we were just classified as an MES system, there are, and there are certainly overlapping aspects, but uh, traditional MES systems work with other types of software and they also work with ERP systems so I'm just trying to get a much better understanding of uh, how that kind of system works and how they have evolved over time.
1: Mm, yeah. So I think they're like a few fold, the, how do they communicate with other systems? And so typically pre like historic MESs have been an on-premise software, so they will sit like on-premise and they'll talk to maybe an on-premise ERP and norm, like they would replicate data. So like there would be a, you know, once a day, there would be a replication of like important data from the ERP into the MES. And then the MES would use that through the day. And then that would be updated and where, and I mean, some have moved on to be, be more than that, but that's just a sort of example. So like how, how to tulip works is there's um, a, will create real time connections with these, Real-time updates to these, uh, like the cloud-based versions of these ERP systems, and when data is needed, it will ping the ERP and bring bring the latest data back. Or when in the uh, in the application, when the operator enters some data, it will push push that data over a connector direct to the ERP system. So this we've got this kind of differentiation between. System of record where the data lives and where the data stores. And that can be like in the ERP, some of that can be in Tulip, it could be in another database, um, could be in like multiple places to the system of engagement, which is like the app that you've built for the operator. And like in the past, they were just always the same system. So the MES, you'd always go onto the MES screen. If you then needed to do something in SAP or the ERP, you then go onto the ERP screen. So as an, as an operator on the shop, even a supervisor or a manager, you're working with like multiple systems to find all your your information.
0: Um. My guess is, if you are a vendor of an MES, uh, the traditional assumption was, you know, if you're having some success, your goal is to grow and eventually be more and more the system of record, like you pointed out. But would that ever be the reality on the shop floor? Uh, for it to look like a, a system, a, a system of record that sort of handles all information, or would we rather be moving into a day and age of interoperability and connectors and stuff like that in a somewhat seamless interface?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think the the system of record is definitely like you'd, you'd, you, you, know, yeah, you. That definitely is not going to be the same system. Like I think we can. We're always going to have like a uh, a historian on the shop floor that like can collect real time time series data really efficiently, and then the ERP that has the um, that has the like the financial data that lives in it, and then like a, a lab database that has all the lab tests in it, for example. So I think the system of record definitely is going to be different. It's like courses for the courses for the data, basically. Um, I think the system of engagement side, like from, I think that like there is an aspiration, and I think it's feasible in many cases to actually say that could be one system, or at least look and feel like one system um, to the operator. So, like, I have a cust, like many, multiple customers that are really selecting Tulip because it will be their one system of engagement. Definitely not their one system. Of record it may be in some cases, like for some pieces of data um and then connecting tulip to s a p and all these other systems and making that uh, really making an effort to bring all the data to the to the operator in a, in an easy to understand way um I've got other customers that are taking i think which is really interesting taking the view of well we can build this functionality in in tulip really quickly, but we still need to have like this data coming from somewhere else, or these it can machine controls being done in a, like directly through the controller PLC. But what we're going to do is like either like, Tulip is going to take some of the real estate on the HMI for the um, for like most of the apps, and then we've got this other like machine con- machine control part of the HMI, and they're bringing it all onto so for the operator's perspective, it looks like the same interface basically. Um, but they they are seeing that they're needing to have kind of those that, that additional levels of control. But I think, I mean, I think that's with tulip functionality today, and I'm sure the um, the direction will be more, uh, the, 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 it, I don't know, it doesn't matter whether it's one system or not, but I think from an operator perspective, you want to have, you want to have like the easy to use interface that gives you the information when you need it, not the kind of super complex boeing 747 flight cockpit that and you like if you're a new operator you take years to get trained on
0: i've been training uh many times in a much more standard sort of old school system with uh, massive amounts of courses and those courses take hours and hours to to make let's go into some of those training aspects in a no-code industrial system industrial tech what is the approach when the client comes and says, you know, we want to deploy and, you know, what are we going to do on the training side? Are you sort of, um, is it a question of getting onboarded to the membership or do you rather go straight into a use case and, and then try to train everyone? And how physically do they get trained on your system?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if it's a a user using the application, so an operator or an inspector, I mean, I, the, the aim is really to, for them to have, like zero hours of training like we try like i try to coach my customers to build stuff that's really intuitive and with like the operator can pick it up and it just makes sense like that's not always the case and they do need sometimes a bit of training and a bit of bringing on board but i think it's like you don't get trained in how to use google maps on your phone it just works right so that's the kind of objective for that and from a like a process engineer perspective that's going to be building the applications i think there's yeah, there's there is definitely some training, and you need some training in how to like the training is not just like how to code and how to build a functioning app. It's also coaching them how to build something that is going to be easy to pick up from an operator and works well. And um, I think there's a there's often a tendency with us like that the engineers who are usually very intelligent and like want to like by their nature are often very detailed oriented. They don't build the most like User friendly, or that's always build the most user friendly interfaces for the operators. So there's definitely some coaching that we need. The coaching we often do at that at that side of it. Um, how does it work? As like a an over I think we really you know, doing something for real is when people really learn. So um, yeah, we have the we we give open access to the Tulip University where people can go on and just like, Play around and build applications, and usually, more often than not, customers give them. Like, create themselves a sandbox environment where anyone can just go in and build everything and play around. Um, but with a site, with like an ind- a group of individuals that want to deploy Tulip in their site, I usually take them through. Like we usually take them through a kind of an actual use case over a, a number of weeks. It could be over a week if they want to do something really intense, or it could be over like a day or half a day a week over over a month or something um, where we'd work together on a use case and really build it together and get it out on the shop floor. And I think that's the way like people really learn from that very well.
0: You have just listened to episode 36 of the Augmented Podcast with host Ronarne Unheim. The topic was Digital Lean. Our guest was Edward Atkins, head of customer success at Tulip. In this conversation, we talked about achieving customer success with classic lean operations and beyond. And we explore performance transparency and how operators can produce parts, tracking procedures, digitally. My takeaway is that implementing digital lean on a client site, especially enabling improvements to be done near 100% by the clients themselves, is now possible with the leading frontline operations software and is game-changing for industrial performance. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcasts.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 22, Friedman's Factory, What is No Code? Episode 24, Emerging Interfaces for Human Augmentation and episode 14, Bottom-Up and Deep Digitization of Operations. Augmented, upskilling the workforce for Industry 4.0 Frontline operations.